1: Trojan fans, welcome to the Fairstyle Style Podcast on a We're going to talk some USC Trojans football with the crew. we got Keely Orr in studio, Dan Weber on the line. If you have any questions or comments for us, please email us, podcast at uscfootball.com. Those emails keep us rolling throughout the entire offseason. You can also call or text us. We do have some voicemail messages to play for you today, 424 254 Nine one four one is the number. As always, try to keep them brief. We love to hear from you, and we'll play. I think three of them so far on the uh, podcast today with Dan Weber and Keely. Your speaking of Keely, your you can follow her on Twitter at Keely. Is my name because that is her name, not Kelly. Not, True. What what other, what else do you get? That's I weird... get a
2: lot. Kaylee, Kelly. Kaylee.
1: I kind of like Kaylee. Should we start calling you Kaylee? No, no.
2: <laughs> I would probably hope not.
1: We don't want that. Kaylee, how are you?
2: Good. How are you? Glad to be back in the studio.
1: Yeah, it's good to be back. We were just here on Sunday. We're actually going to do a, a special version of Tunnel Vision on Wednesday because USC basketball plays on Thursday, but also uh, it's the Super Bowl this weekend. So yeah, we don't want to
2: the... compete with the Super Bowl. It's
1: hard. Yeah, we, you don't want to watch Tunnel Vision over the Super Bowl. Maybe some of you do, but uh, <laughs> we're probably not going to bank on that. We also got Dan Weber on the line. What's up, Dan?
3: Hey, uh, kind of quiet. This is sort of the the lull before the uh, whatever the next storm is. I guess at this
1: point. Yeah, a little bit of lull. You got the uh, Todd Orlando hire. We want to like get into a little more depth on you know USC hiring Todd Orlando first, and we're going to get to all of your questions. There's some stuff about recruiting, uh, how the starting next. We got a voicemail about starting off next year. Um, you know, coaching visits, things like that uh you know talk about Todd Orlando so we'll get a bunch of questions in we got some emails and stuff to get to as well before we do i just want to thank our great sponsor Trader Joe's cuz you got the super bowl can we say that or the big game i don't know the what you The big you're, game. Are we not allowed to, i don't know what you're allowed to say you can't even say it like just uh whatever but um coming up this weekend and i think i talked last week uh about doing some dips if you look at their fearless flyer now i love me some Chips that have, like, waves in them, like, like you know, kind of the ruffly ones. Yeah. I like sour cream and okay. the dip. And so sometimes you put, like, this – I think we talked about this, like, sour cream and onion um, dip, in, you know, uh, mix into sour cream. Or just – no, it's the onion dip into uh, sour But now I'm looking at Trader Joe's and the Fearless Flyer. They have the everything but the bagel sesame seasoning blend. So you pour all that into – The sour cream and mix it up.
2: Ooh, that's next level.
1: Yeah. So then you get, (laughs) so you can dip your uh, chips in there, you know, carrot, celery, anything like that. So I am definitely going to be making that for the Super Bowl party this weekend. But yeah, if you go to the Fearless Flyer on TraderJoe's.com, they'll show you all kinds of interesting ideas. Um, Cool. Yeah. Like it out. Uh, Let's see. We have, we talked about, I think last week, Todd Orlando wasn't official. We kind of talked about, I think everyone's – it's kind of settled in. We're really seeing him hitting the ground running at USC. There's uh, – I don't know. I mean, I, he's recruiting. He's out on the road recruiting, which we have saw Clancy Pendergast like late in the cycle kind of do it. I guess this is late now. but <laughs> It's a week away from National But they're really – they're out there, I think, visiting high schools. Like just – I think it's more about putting a presence out there than yeah. necessarily trying to recruit a specific player. We've seen pictures of Clancy Pendergast, like I said, late taking pictures with different, but but there's a lot of people mentioning him on Twitter. Uh, We saw Aaron Auspice put some videos up and Todd Orlando's in there, getting in the mix for the, the workout. So, I mean, I, I guess it's as good of a start as you could expect. You know, I don't know if it will get you first, Keely, and then get Dan, but it's, it does sound like he's hitting the ground running.
2: Yeah, this is best-case scenario. You'd want him to jump in into the practices, the, the off-season conditioning. We've heard he's a fiery guy. It looks like that based on the videos. And then uh, I think him and Chad Kay went to Orange Lutheran yesterday, uh, visiting some high schools, making his presence known in Southern California. So as much as you can get on the road at late January, I think he's
1: doing a good job so far. Yeah. What are you, Dan?
3: Well, I think it, it perfectly illustrates uh, the situation USC's in. that it's newsworthy that two USC coaches are recruiting at Orange Lutheran makes you makes your head want to explode. that that would be whoa, A USC coach is recruiting. And in Southern California, where the number one players always seem to go to South Carolina to to, to play football, the last two years. I mean that I mean this is what what makes it so difficult probably to be a USC fan. You have the two best high school football programs and it's not even close in the country, you know, within what 20 miles of of campus and USC can't recruit them. I mean that's what what's so amazing and that if a USC coach actually does some recruiting in Southern California, it makes the news. That's just crazy. Uh, Or that the other side of that uh, with Todd Orlando, I don't know if you guys have heard the whole story apparently of his first day, but uh, they were having a meeting. I don't know if it was just the defensive side of the team or the whole team where Aaron Osmus was introducing to them the new system uh, of plus minus system for keeping up with players. If they keep all their commitments, academic, you know tutors uh conditioning weightlifting all of that kind of thing and there was a guy sitting in with the guys and they thought well this is just maybe somebody uh, gonna talk to us or maybe he's just an observer or whatever he's just sitting there and aaron osmus goes over the names of a couple of the leading minus players on the roster and one of them with like a minus eight is uh, very, uh, if you could say USC has any stars on defense after the way they played last year, this would be somebody you would say was a star and a veteran. And the the next guy he mentioned would also be almost in that category. And I guess there was some kind of snickering or maybe just a little bit of, you know, whatever. And this guy, who none of them knew, jumps up and says... That's the end of that bleep. We're not gonna put up with that anymore. And I guess Aaron Osmus leans in and said, oh guys, I'd like you to I'd like to introduce you to your new defensive coordinator, Todd Orlando. I like that. Wow. So again, that's the good news and it's also the bad news that a guy who's been here a day feels like he's got to step in and say, you're going to have some discipline here. You're going to do what we tell you. And if you don't, there's going to be consequences. The thought that that's coming, and as good as that is coming from the defensive coordinator, is that where that kind of, uh, you know, culture has to develop or does it have to go higher? Uh, I mean, great that Todd Orlando is – probably in a lot of ways the guy you think he is if you watched him when USC played Texas when he had players they were pretty good when he didn't have players they weren't so good uh what that does for him as a recruiter and all that I don't know if you can't get enough great players in Texas I'm not sure what's going on but the fact that he was out you know recruiting is is a good thing uh obviously but uh it really indicates on both of those levels, the culture and the recruiting, that those are stories makes you say as much bad as as there is good in those stories. I mean, it's like, okay, that's the good news. The bad news is that that's a story, and that that apparently isn't what's uh, happening here. Wow,
1: that's an interesting story, Dad. I like uh, I like that. I think you need. When you talk about a culture change, this is a team that needs one. It's really hard to do if it's not coming from the head coach. Yeah. Uh, but changing the strength, and I think Shotgun talked about this on Tunnel Vision, changing the strength and conditioning coach last year. I mean, that that was certainly something you felt was, was helpful, could go in the right direction a little bit. I think Todd Orlando is going to be a guy like that too, where it's not fixing everything, but it's making some improvements. I think improvements should have been done like a couple of years ago. Yes, but I mean, I guess it's better late than never.
2: I mean, if you're stuck in this situation, I don't know if "stuck" is the correct word. I guess stuck's this is a good word. The right uh, progress you'd want to see because you can't change the higher ups. You can't change Helton at this point. You might as well change, try and change the culture through a new DC, right? Right. The gra- glass is half full.
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it obviously changing the offensive coordinator helped. There's no question about it. Did it make USC any more physical last year? Did it make them any more game ready on defense or, you know, on special teams? No. Did they, you know, uh, suffer a lot of problems in those two areas? Yes. Now you're going to change both, although we don't know what direction, you know, special teams, is that going to go, you know, to somebody on the staff already? Uh, I don't think we... We still, until we, you know, we hear um, what they're going to do. We don't know exactly what direction that's going, but uh, uh, I still think you probably need to have, for example, I mean, if I'm, you know, if you're taught taught Orlando, you're going to say, look, I'm responsible for this defense. We have to tackle at practice. We have to play against the first offense with our good players. We've got to be challenged by the best receivers, the best quarterback, if we want to be as good as we can be now where does that get resolved does the head coach say you know we don't do it that way and it's really been working well for us so we're just gonna no you can't you can't do that uh i thought thought that was interesting chris fowler is the uh does the feature game on espn and you know or you know has been kind of the uh you know the top guy with kirk Hope street and um he uh, he was doing the Australian Open the other day, and he was talking about a couple of players who he thought, why he thought they were so good. And he said, the thing about these guys is they're not afraid to change. They learn. They see what's going on. They see what's happening with their game, and they adjust to it. And you see guys like uh, a Roger Federer, uh, uh, a Rafa Nadal come back, and they're not always the same guy, no matter how many years they've been playing. They've got things that they do differently in their game. And I think that's kind of almost a message that it could have been being delivered, you know, to USC football and Clay Helton, that you probably got to change a lot of things. And one of the things you got to change is the way you practice. And, I, I, you know, we've seen this before. They practice really well. And competitively in spring, where there's no worry about getting ready for a game, and they do that pretty well in the first couple of weeks in fall camp, and then everything slows down and they're not ready to play week to week to week. If if the new people can bring a change there and get them playing faster in practice and, and more physical and, and more competitively and more game you know, ready, I mean, we'll say this a million times, and you know, again, it doesn't do us any good. If uh, if the guy at the top who's, you know, uh, deciding how they're going to practice doesn't agree with that. So so we'll see. Uh, uh, You know, obviously, Orlando, the one thing everybody says about him is he wants, you know, he wants to play fast and and uh, physical and come after you on defense. I don't know how you can go all week and not do that and then be ready to play that way on Saturday. I I just it, it doesn't work for me. Yeah. And,
2: and he said as much. He said, "If you practice soft, you play soft." So, the theme is there. It's just whether or not he'll be able to execute it the way he wants to.
3: Yeah, we will see. Um, we, that's we the big need question. A, we may we may need a coordinator's coup uh, to to get this to to happen. But uh, I mean, obviously, Clay at least last year kind of let uh, uh, Graham Harold do what he thought. Needed to be done, mm-hmm. and it kind of worked. I mean, you still, you know, I think Graham came in with the thought that they would be able to run the ball, and then realized they probably couldn't run the ball. Now they had, you know, with the three running backs injured and all that, you had a, you know, an, another issue there, but. Uh, but I think hopefully Graham learned something last last year that, you know, if you don't practice it, if you don't go hard, you don't go full speed, if you don't, you know, work on it in short yardage situations, if you're not physical, you're probably not going to be able to run the ball, at least against the better teams. And uh, hopefully that was a lesson learned. We'll see.
1: Yeah, we will see. Um, I think we have a question or two on Todd have, Orlando. or
2: And about practice. So if we want to jump into questions.
1: Yeah, let's jump into that.
2: Let's start off with an international question. Mike from Montreal says, Hi Ryan, great show. Love the work that you, Coach, Dan, Keeley, etc. are doing. Now that Orlando has said that his defense will hit in practices and that he and Helton are on the same page, will the media, websites, radio, TV, print, etc. shame Helton into holding open practices? If not, why not? The point to Helton would be, you lied to us in the past about the team's physicality. Now open your practices up to prove it as we no longer believe a word you say. Does the media have the balls to force course Helton and Bone to do this, Mike from Montreal.
1: Mike from Montreal, coerce Helton into having open practice. Like I don't, that's not our job. We're not supposed to, uh, you know, we're we're not people that are like shaming head coaches into doing things. We would love practices to be open.
2: Well, when we held them accountable about practicing, what did they do the next season? Close them. So yeah. it's not like they respond well to our uh, criticism or gl- our second, our critical eye
3: about it. Yeah. Yeah, we were too negative and, and created a, 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 a sense of negativity around the program. What they were doing on Saturday uh, didn't contribute to that, no, or what they were doing during the week. It was what we were saying about the program. Uh, you know, if it were me, I mean, if it were Pete, for example, Pete brought the media in as much as he liked the media and all of that. Pete thought it really put some pressure on the players to perform. And who knows, maybe the coaches as well. But that that having the media there, you know, as as some people make the case that, hey, you're going to have media there for the games. You're going to have a lot of people there for the game. I mean, not only were the media there, you had the fans there. And I don't know if that wouldn't be a good idea if you were going to do a change or culture changing moment. Uh, Yeah, bring us back, you know, bring us in and and tell them, uh, you know, tell your players, hey. We're going to change how we do things. We want you to change how you do things and, uh, you know, make it all work together. Uh, I, I just think it wouldn't be a bad idea. I'm not. I mean, the, the problem is because of the rest of college football, that's not happening at all. Uh, now, I think we know pretty much that uh, the, the you know, the top programs practice really hard. You know, you're not there, but they're hitting at Ohio State and figuring out how can we tackle more Alabama is saying, you know, we tackle to the ground if it costs us a player or two. That's just what happens. Clemson's practicing hard. I don't think you get better without, you know, obviously Utah practices hard, their physical physical football team. Uh, I don't think there's any question about is that the right answer? How do you get there, uh, you know, from here? And, um, you know, if I were USC right now, I would try to create that atmosphere So that people might believe you. I mean, they're in a situation now where nobody believes anything they say. And if you believe anything they say, you know, let's say they do practice well in the spring, which they did last year. And we say that they're going to everybody will just say, so what they're they won't do it during the season or so. what? You know, so if I'm USC, I would take every opportunity to uh, to convince people and your own players that that's what you're trying to do. I still tell people that the example of covering the bulls when Michael was there and Phil Jackson was a coach and they had, you know, they had some interesting issues with, with Scotty Pippen and um, um, Dennis Rodman and those guys. Uh, they always wanted Phil Jackson was so good. He was a master at in the post game stuff, telling us what the message was that he wanted to get across to his players and knowing that Michael would carry it out for him and, and that they would they would get it done. But Phil knew that he could use the media to help him coach the team and motivate the team. And I, I think that's, you know, that's being really smart. And I think, you know, you need to be able to do that. And I'm not sure if you keep telling them or telling us everything's great. We're doing this and this and this and this. How do you motivate them that way? Uh, I think that's where kind of the culture change has to happen is we're not as good as we need to be. We're not doing the right things. We're not, you know, but we don't get much of that. And and that comes from the top. And you'd like to hear more of that. We need to work hard at this. We need to be, you know, we need to be better at that. We're not doing this as well as we should be doing. And we got to get better every day. And I think we need to hear more of that. We don't hear almost any of that.
1: Yeah. yeah it's it's a tough uh situation i think for this market usc should have open practices ucla should have open practices you want to have as much media there you got Kawhi Leonard. you got lebron james you got you know all that stuff everything that's going on in the city you need to get eyeballs and it's a pro town you close up practice it's not like you're in lincoln nebraska or tuscaloosa where Everyone's going to just cover you no matter what you have to get coverage. And I think closing practices is just a bad idea in L.A.
2: Yeah. And I'm curious about spring because spring was about the whole they were kind of rehabbing their image last spring about the discipline, bringing in the Pac-12 refs, refs et cetera do you open spring back up and then close it in fall? I'm just curious what the game plan is now going forward. And I think they're also very aware of their image and that's why they had a full media rollout when they announced Todd Orlando. It wasn't just a press release. It was like a video where he was interviewed. They had graphics with his his stats from his former teams and stuff like that. So I think they're much more aware of it now, but will they try and rehab that image to the point where they open practices back up again? I don't know.
3: Yeah. Yeah. They're in a tough spot. I mean, they're, they, they're in a place where again people don't believe them uh, and you know even letting us in and, and all of that will help. But it's going to be how do you how do you get ready week by week by week by week And they've got the ultimate challenge in opening uh, with Alabama and that you know, can you know determine so much and you know in, in a way if you use it right, it can be the great motivator in winter and spring summer workout you know it's you can't have a better motivator than that but uh how do you use it and uh i don't know i don't know how they're going to use it and you know history isn't hasn't been kind to this usc football program and then they have you know the kind of recruiting setbacks that you keep seeing um i mean how how much better situation i mean clemson south carolina is getting the number one player in the country in California from LA. How is that, how's that even remotely possible? I mean, you know, is any, any, you guys ever been to Clemson, South Carolina? I mean, you could put the whole town in the stadium. I mean, it's a, it's, you know, it's a nice little school, but come on. I mean, uh, there's just no way that should be happening. And uh, you know, it happens back to back years. It's just, it's crazy.
1: Uh, We got a voicemail question from our buddy Curtis. Uh, Let's play that one for you, Dan.
4: Man, you guys switched in Tunnel Vision off of the new defensive coordinator from which I've seen in my research really does good his first year in. Think about it, you guys. A defense or offensive coordinator. People are going to get used to what you do. And eventually they're going to get used to his defense. So hopefully he does well and gets another job and we get another defensive coordinator. But you guys went off on the dead recruiting class for this year. Okay. I'll take your word for it. Since it's dead, let's not take anybody else. We can't get any five stars, so let's go after the best people in the transfer portal that we need. Whoever you said we didn't get that was the best in California, I bet it's somebody in the portal that's something like him. Three of the quarterbacks in the playoff were in the transfer portal. Curtis from Moreno Valley. Hey, curse real quick. I don't think there's
5: anybody
1: the transfer portal like a Corey Foreman, unfortunately. That's uh, why
2: we switched because Corey Foreman just committed to Clemson when uh, we were having tunnel vision. So,
1: right, we kind of moved off the uh, the talk about um, Todd Orlando, but because yeah, it was like, oh, this is not 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 good news. Breaking news, yes.
3: Well, and to follow up on that, Todd Orlando had a really good uh, first year at Texas when he had really good players who somebody had recruited unfortunately year two and year three he didn't have those same really good players so if, if you want to say that recruiting is probably more important than uh than than following up and coaching them uh you probably got a pretty good example in in Todd Orlando's own case where uh when he I think he's the kind of you know guy if you who isn't? If you got better players, you're going to coach them up better. Uh, and uh, so, why that, you know, went into a tailspin at Texas? I don't think, I don't think anybody has, has had a good answer at Texas. They blamed the assistant coaches, and most of them are gone now. Uh, but uh, something that we can't quite figure out is going on at Texas. And I think at least when we look at USC. I think we know what's going on at USC, and um, you got to have players. And you know, USC will have enough players to be pretty good this year. How good that will be, I don't know. But yeah. um, usc got enough good players to, if you coach them up. For example, if you had say, uh, oh, let's pick out a guy. Oh, I don't know, Urban Meyer, and say, put him in charge from now until next fall i think usc would have enough talent to have a shot at the college football playoffs do they have enough you know talent with the uh you know in the current program as we've seen it the last two years probably not but uh you know coaching matters Mm -hmm. definitely does you don't have to convince
1: usc fans of that (laughs)
2: We have more Todd Orlando questions and multiple from Gary Class of 1975. He says, Ryan, with the hire of Todd Orlando, what does this mean for our existing defensive coaches? Will he bring his coaches from UT? Do you see him keeping any of the current guys? Can you please describe the difference between the defensive scheme he runs compared to Clancy's base D? Thanks and fight on, Gary Class of
1: 1975. Hey, Gary. Um, We're still unsure. Uh, I think some people speculate on the peristyle that when it was taking so long, that they were going to bring in the whole staff. Uh, that isn't the case. I've heard a couple of names that they've been talking to. Uh, Gerard Martinez has been sharing some information on the Peristyle or uh, about like a Chris Claiborne or something. Um, so there you know there's some some names out there. It's still un, we're still uncertain if there's going to be a bunch of changes or just maybe bringing in someone to you know you still need a, a special teams coordinator. Uh, you still need uh, Joe DeForest's spot is still open. So you could, you know, bring someone in there. He end up leaving to take a safety coach job at, at North Carolina State. So we, we're it's still a little bit unclear. Uh, Todd Orlando himself is a linebackers coach. That's what he's, you know, he's been a DC and linebackers coach most of the way. So I don't think you need another linebackers coach if you're still going to have Johnny Nansen coaching like the outside linebackers, for example. Uh, so I'm curious to see uh, what they're going to do. But uh, yeah, we don't know at this point as far as more changes go. But I I do expect a a little bit of a shakeup, at least.
3: As far as uh, uh, schematically, I think on offense, that really, really matters. I mean, you couldn't have had Graham Harrell, you couldn't hire him or have him come in there and not run his stuff. Uh, The fact that it perfectly uh, fit with the talent he ran into at USC in terms of quarterbacks and wide receivers and what have you, and the inability maybe to run the ball uh, because of the lack of physicality. Uh, I think on defense, I think you got to do it the way Bill Belichick does it, where he basically looks at the players he's got, looks at who he's playing, and says, what can we do with the talent we have, the things our guys can do to make it most difficult on those guys? I mean, you you, you know, and you see everybody – you know, uh, say Clancy would line up, you know, a two down, three down, four down. I mean, uh, a lot of stuff has to happen uh, in in games where you've got to be able to do a lot of different things. And we're seeing, you know, all kinds of uh, fairly exotic, uh, you know, ways that people play defense. And uh, what was it? Uh, I guess Iowa was called themselves kind of a three, six, two or something like that. Or, you know, uh People are doing really different things. So I think you, you basically have to look at your personnel and say, what can we do best with these guys against our whole schedule and then game by game? And I think you, you just have to be able to execute it. And you can't be thinking and trying to remember at full speed with somebody hit you. Oh, what am I supposed to do on that play and get guys, you know, where they really feel comfortable. For example, I mean, uh, palai I don't know that he's ever looked comfortable, uh, in the middle. Um, you know, I've always gotten a, uh, had a thought that he might be your edge rusher that you just, you know, like a missile and he'd be plenty big enough and obviously quick enough and physical enough. Would he be better playing one way, you know, from one side and coming one direction and being somebody they just can't block coming from the outside, I don't know. I'd like to see that rather than maybe putting him in the middle where he's got a diagnose and he's got all these you know, checks in his head. Uh, well, what if this happens or this happens or that happens? I think there was too much of that. I think there was too much where guys weren't sure and they kept saying communication is the thing we need. And I'm thinking – a lot of the times that looked like the kind of communication you might ask from an NFL team with a bunch of 10-year veterans. But it looked like guys just weren't that sure of what they were doing and what they were supposed to do. And I'd like to get them to that place no matter what they're doing schematically. I'd just like to get them where they can play fast, play physical, and they know exactly you know, what they're doing. And, and that was not the case uh, last year at all.
2: And yeah. to your point, Dan, um, I think Gerard Martinez and Chris Trevino have been doing really good on the P, putting up articles about, you know, what personnel would look good with his, uh, s- his scheme. And also Chris put together uh, a, a, a uh, article about former players talking about tor- Todd Orlando, and one of them was saying that uh, he did a really good job of explaining your role and then expanding it to what it meant on the defense and the scheme so you knew what your responsibility was, and then you could connect it to the overall picture, which, like you were just saying, Dan, that was something that we heard throughout the years with Clancy's. some guys just didn't get what everything meant in the system, and thus, when things changed uh, pre-snap-reads, They were confused and you saw those miscommunications. So I think that's a good step forward if players, if if Todd Orlando is good at explaining the responsibilities for each player, which is what we've heard from former players of his.
3: And and if you have the ability to convert those explanations into the kind of muscle memory in practice Mm -hmm. so that you don't have to be thinking, oh, what did they tell me in that meeting? You know, was? I can't remember. No, you got to just play. You got to be able to play. And so I think, you know, it gets lost in, you know, kind of the translation from the meeting room to practice field. And that's where, again, we're talking about the, you know, speeding up practice and making it more game-like and competitive. Uh, I think really helps the defense. I mean, I don't know that, I just don't know that, going to you know walkthroughs or glorified walkthroughs or speeded up walkthroughs is the way to get there I, I, it's just not and you got to be able to you know and and when you're going in shorts and, and shoulder pads I mean honestly I saw uh, in the 15 minutes we were allowed to watch Iowa practice that one day they were tackling to the ground and they they did more drills and did they got more done in 15 minutes than than some USC practices uh, in the entire practice, and uh, I think USC's gotta they gotta do that kind of thing. They gotta you know break the game down so that it becomes a second you know you don't have to think about it. It's just you do it the right way. You're playing low. You got pad level. Uh, one of the problems I think a lot of times is when USC goes in shorts and shoulder pads and helmets, and you know even when they do thud. They're standing up straight. They're not playing football down low the way you have to play football, the way you're going to be playing it on Saturday and the way you're going to have to you know be able to throw your body and go to the ground and all of that. And if you uh, and, and the, the Iowa kids, for example, even with shorts on, didn't seem to have any kind of problem of doing that. But if you watch USC uh, in shorts, uh, you don't see guys going to the ground. You don't see guys having that kind of body control, uh, you saw more things with Iowa's practice where it looked like they were working with wrestlers um, in terms of the, you know, the the way they were able to get their center of gravity down and the way they were able to control, uh, you know, their movements and, and do them quickly and all of that. Uh, I think that all has to come, that has come back for USC because they're not. I mean, you can't be a great football team right now if you're not physical, if you're not tough, if you know, if you won't hit people. Uh, You know, you just go down the list of of, of the teams that are uh, controlling college football. And uh, if you can't do that, you know, you can maybe be an Oklahoma or somebody sort of an outsider with real talent. But you just don't have that reputation of being able to, you know, physically stay with people. But uh, uh, USC's got to figure out a way to get back in there with the big boys, the tough guys. And uh, that's got to happen. I don't think, you know, Todd Orlando isn't somebody who couldn't do that, but they got to take this opportunity and let him do that.
1: Yep. You want to do your next question, Keeley?
2: Sure. We were talking about recruiting earlier. Uh, Stephen Poway has a recruiting question. Dear Ryan, Dan, and Keely, has there been any official or unofficial reaction from USC on Mario Cristobal's provocative tweet about recruiting in LA, including a doctored photo of the Hollywood sign saying, go Ducks, Steve and Poway.
1: Yeah, they filed an official complaint with Congress. <laughs> like, no, I don't think, I mean, you can't, I mean, Mario Cristobal and Oregon are killing it and uh, the new 24-7 sports rankings came out today. Um, so there's a bunch of new five stars, none from USC. Uh, Gary
2: Bryant almost was a five star. Though. Gary,
1: yeah, he's close. He's, in he's the, a top 50 now. Yeah, he's a top 50 player. He's. I think he's number five in the state of California. Jonah Monheim, who was the next highest-ranked player, dropped a couple spots. Tully, uh, what,
2: Tui Pelotu is now four star.
1: Yeah, a four-star. Yeah, Tuli's moved up to a four-star, but he's not in the top 25 in California still. CJ Stroud, who USC probably should have you know, recruited when they lost out on uh, DJ and Bryce Young, uh, he's a five-star now. So three five-stars in Southern California at quarterback. USC got none of them. And if you look at the twenty four seven sports rankings, team rankings, not the composite, the twenty four seven sports rankings, USC's number twelve in the Pac twelve. So that's bad. In the composite, USC's up to number ten. Uh barely ahead of Arizona, Washington State, I believe. But in the twenty four seven sports rankings, which that's our company, USC's last. So uh, you know, not a lot of not a lot of great news, I'd say.
3: Yeah. I don't know how much longer you can let this happen. If you're in charge of USC, I mean, if you're, you're President Folt, if you're A.D. Mike Bone, you, how long do you let this go? Do you just say, oh, OK, I guess uh, maybe I was wrong about they were going to turn recruiting around? Or, I mean, how, Really? I mean, you've got to what, what, – I think USC has two of the top 200 is what, what I think I saw when I went over the rankings, two out of 200. That's just ridiculous. I mean, that's just crazy bad. And you know, isn't there any performance component to being a football coach at USC? I mean, isn't there some something they measure you against and say, you know, this is a how many years in a row that this doesn't look like it's happening? I mean, do you just go on and, you know, for the highest paid employee and the most famous employee at the University of Southern California, you just say, uh, "What's that commercial? Uh, okay is not really okay, or whatever that commercial is, where it's not good enough just to say it's okay." Uh, and that's not even okay. I mean, what are they doing? I mean, are they really are they going to wait and waste another year? I mean, I think that's really uh, taking a gigantic chance. Um, of putting this program back into a place where uh i mean I I will tell people, you know, as as much enthusiasm as Mike Bone brought to the program and as many talents as Brad and Brandon, as Brandon So Sosna have, if USC turns things around, which I think they will do, they have to eventually. I mean, they they're gonna turn things around. Neither of them will be here nor will President Fault be here to see that moment. If something doesn't change, if they allow it to kind of go the way it's been going, it won't turn around while they're here because it's going to be too far back to turn around uh, in, in any kind of short order. I think there's still a chance. I mean, I think there's a chance you know, for next year just because they've got enough talent. But a whole lot's got to change. And if we, the signs that, you know, well, recruiting's not changing and, you know, USC doesn't seem to be willing to do what it takes to compete. And if you're not willing to compete, the essence of sports is the commitment to compete. And it doesn't look like for a couple of years, USC has been willing to compete on the practice field in games and recruiting, all of the things that, that you need to do to compete and, uh, you know. Where do you go from here if you keep falling behind and falling behind? I mean, I don't, I don't see how you make, I mean, how different would it be if all the top prospects in Southern California last year and the next year were coming to USC? How different does that program look? Just that, that one thing alone changes everything. Yeah. And why hasn't it changed?
1: Uh, We talked on, uh, you know, maybe I was being a little dramatic, but on Tunnel Vision, when the news broke that Corey Foreman had picked uh, Clemson and, you know, earlier in the day or the day before, uh, was it Bo Collins? Yeah, it was Bo Collins. Yeah, Bo Collins also picked uh, Clemson, two of the top players in the country, let alone in, you know, in Southern California. And Corey Foreman, basically, it like Drake Jackson is his idol. Like they were on the same team together. And he just, when I interviewed him, that's all he talked about is how, you know, amazing it would have been to play with him and all that stuff. For him to go across the country, like Dan said to Clemson, now it's not signed yet, but he's just committed, the, the top player there. I said that was a fireable offense right right or right away. I'm like, dude, dude, this is not, you can't let someone like that get away. Someone that's, you know, in your backyard that his idol's on your team already and you're still screwing it up. Uh To me, that's just, you know, it's just one of many, many things you pile on there. Having the last ranked class in the Pac-12, at any point, you know i don't if the if the class of 2030 you're last in the Pac 12 that should never happen certainly shouldn't happen right now a week and a half before the february signing day
3: yeah I think, I think it's a great point usc if usc the program doesn't uh make that happen with a with a foreman uh then the people on above the program the people calling the shots for the program have to react to it and they have to say that's unacceptable and we're going to do something serious about it and you make a kid like that say oh usc's changing they're going to react to stuff they're not just going to go on and be the same program but if we don't see anything happen as a result of that then they are going to be the same program i mean what has usc done um since that commitment i mean not as you say fireball offense i think absolutely
1: yeah, and DJ, I mean, not DJ, sorry, not DJ. Uh, Bryce Young, <coughs>
3: the number one player in the
1: country now, former USC commit, so it, the hits keep coming.
2: that That's a bad one. That
1: one is a we, dagger. We got another recruiting uh, voicemail question. I'll play that one for you now.
5: Hey, Ryan, Bobby in LA. This question is for hopefully for everybody to comment on. Dan, Keeley, Shotgun, and the coach, and hopefully get your take on it. On the same day... Recruiting in the school, the Mustang football in Texas. Two schools show up on the same day. USC shows, uh, John David Baxter, the inside receivers coach. And LSU shows up with coach Ed Ogeron, James Craig, and Greg McMahon. So the head coach in two US, I mean two LSU, so a total of three. And the who just got promoted to a coach from a analyst from last year. What do you think the odds are of having uh, the uh, recruits at the same school be more enamored with? I think I know why USC is where they are in recruiting. Big, big difference. It shows me what I need to know. Thank you. Bye.
3: Well, all I'll say is this. USC had Ed Orgeron running recruiting. And they told him basically to go away. They didn't need him. <clears throat> Something about his voice? I don't know. Uh, but anyway, uh, if you want a guy who can recruit, I think he was the best recruiter in the country. Uh, obviously, he was when he was at USC. Uh, and he told him <clears throat> he really wasn't good enough that you needed uh, Steve Sarkisian, or now you need Clay Helton, uh, you've done this to yourself. I mean, you basically said it doesn't matter if you're uh, as good a recruiter, if you you relate to uh, players and prospects and their coaches and their parents as well as anybody in the country. If you're willing to work harder than anybody in the country, it doesn't matter. We don't need you around here. And USC, <clears throat> you know, sealed their own fate. Uh when they told Ed they didn't need him and then didn't have anybody even remotely uh, you know, as good as Ed. Uh, what else do you expect? I mean it's just it's you know, that's USC has put itself in this position.
1: Yeah, and it's John David Baker, not John David Baxter, oh. just so people uh
2: or John David Booty.
1: Yeah, you kind of screw those up. But don't scare anyone. John Baxter is no longer on the staff. So don't, but John, day, but the point is, you basically send in the dude you just promoted. And you know, I get, you, you know, it's hard to recruit everywhere all the time. We're seeing more in Southern California, but that's probably not a great look in the same day you have, you know, maybe you don't send anybody if you're not going to send your big guns in when, you know, Ed Orgeron and two of his staff members are going. Uh, James Craig, who also worked at USC back in the day.
3: The <laughs> problem is, if Ed Orgeron, <clears throat> excuse me shows up, you don't have any big guns to put against Ed Orgeron. I mean, you might as well <clears throat> uh, go to the next school, I would guess, if, uh, if you know that Coach O is already there. Uh, because they're probably not going to hear you, uh, uh, to be honest. Uh, USC doesn't have any big guns right now in terms of recruiting. That's kind of a problem.
1: No, it is. Uh, there's, they really haven't replaced T. Martin on that, you yeah. know, in that aspect of mm-hmm. things. So,
2: did they ever officially announce John David Baker, USC? I don't We're, think they did.
3: did they? Did we? I not... think they did.
2: I think they did. Boy, that's did, a good who question. Broke, then
3: where did that come from? Didn't we?
2: Uh, I did... think Football Scoop did first, and then Gerard
3: confirmed it.
1: Okay, yeah, I think we, we
3: did. As an inside, he's he's see the inside or the out, he's the inside receivers, coach, Inside right?
2: and tight ends.
3: Right. Yeah. Although when USC, when you talk about it, I think you just say inside receivers because I'm not sure they're exactly are tight ends anymore. Yeah.
2: Interesting. Well, we have a question from Jack from New Jersey. It's a question slash he's just listing out his requirements for 2020. He says, Ryan, so maybe there is hope for optimism this coming season. I'm still not a Clay Helton as a head coach fan, but really, how could anyone be? I think with Graham Harrell staying, changing D.C. to Toronto, Orlando, having a healthy Daniel Marta Bebe back, that maybe the pendulum is swinging in USC's favor for a change. My opinion for the next year is that the following bar must be met by Clay Hilton, or he really has to go. One, 10 regular season wins. Two, Pac-12 title, not just win the South. Three, win whatever bowl game they play in. Four, play in the Rose Bowl at the very least. Considering the talent level on this team for the upcoming year, anything less than achieving the above goals could be should be considered a failure and grounds for termination. Enough B- BS excuses. Go win games. Pete Carroll's motto was no whining, no arguing, no excuses. It's time for Clay to man up. The question is, can he? Jack from New Jersey.
3: I like those, Jack. I think those are reasonable. <clears throat> Yeah, my question is 10 or 11. I, I think 11 might be uh, might be where you, you want to go yeah. with this team looking at this schedule. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, I, it shouldn't even be have to be stated. It just should be automatic. You're better than those teams, and you're better than those programs. You know, you're USC. I mean, if you act like USC. Now, if you don't act like USC, then maybe you're not. But uh, you could be.
1: Yeah, I think it was one I was toying with the idea of just saying like, all right, if I'm the athletic director, you know, you're talking about a head coach that should have been fired the last two years and wasn't, I would go something like, beat Alabama or you're fired. Like, so like, go like that. Like, so just beat Alabama. Like, that's all you got to do or you're fired. So like,
2: then what's the option? You tarmac if, if that doesn't happen?
1: I don't know. Just like, you're not going to be coming back. If you don't beat Alabama, you don't come back. Like maybe we fire you in the middle of the season. Like. If I'm the AD, I'm saying that. Like, there's just – it's been enough. It's like there's no more anything. Just go beat Alabama.
2: If that's the case, then just fire him.
1: They they should have. (laughs) I'm
2: just saying in your hypothetical AD scenario. Yeah.
3: Yeah, uh, excuse me. One of the problems is when you talk about what could have or should have happened the last two years, this looks like a coaching situation where the person knew they weren't going to be fired or couldn't be fired or whatever. I mean, most people under the pressure of a 5-7, you know, season would change significantly the way they do things. And that didn't happen. No. And that's so bizarre that you wouldn't not that you need to be told you got to change things, but you would know you need you need to change things cuz what you were doing wasn't working. And that that doesn't happen just is so difficult to understand. I mean, you you don't say, okay, these are my problems. Here's how I solve them. And then it's like, oh no, these are my problems. Let's keep doing the same thing that brought these problems on. And obviously that seems to be happening in recruiting as well. I mean, the idea that Mario Cristobal did more recruiting in the tunnel of of the Coliseum after the USC game as we watched him, uh, calling recruits up, and they couldn't get him to leave. You know, the buses were ready to go, and he's walking back and forth, calling people. Hey, here I am at the, you know, in the tunnel at the Coliseum. We just beat them 56, 20, whatever. And uh, and thinking USC didn't even doesn't even believe in really doing recruiting in this in season. And you're thinking, what's going? How, this is crazy. I mean, just crazy. But you know. Something has to change, and I'm not sure if we're seeing that.
1: Yeah. Well, speaking of season expectations, we do have a voicemail that kind of talks about that, too. So let's play this one for you.
0: Hey, guys. That's for Dan Weber. Dan, he thought that it's impossible for USC to go 1-4 and to start the season next year. What did Pete Carroll do in his first six games at USC in 2001? Question answered. That was his year one. This play out on fourth year. It is absolutely conceivable that we start four and one to start this season. I say our chances are seventy percent that way. Cal's a good, a very good team with Chase Garber. Jaden Daniels beats us if he plays us last year. We all know Alabama's going to be an absolute. Uh, no no need to go down that. That way. New Mexico, we should just be flat out better. Stanford, the wild card, but don't be surprised if you lose over there at the farm. So, one in four, very possible. Very disappointing in you that you thought it was impossible for someone to do that when Pete Carroll did that. Frank from Irvine, class 2004.
3: Yeah, well, Pete Carroll, in his entire, uh, I guess, I'd, for how many years, the, the, what was it, 10 point loss to Notre Dame was the only loss in double digits. I mean, he, he may have lost some of those games, but man, I they think that Kansas
1: State game, there was like an 11 point loss there or something, too.
3: Yeah, I, I think, I think it, so. I'm trying to remember. I was there. I mean, yeah, they were close, though. They were in every game, and all they had to do was get a little better, and they didn't have a, a running back in the program. And all they had to do was get better and uh, <clears throat> turn it around. Because they were playing, you know, good defense. They were staying on the field, and once they, you know, just got a little bit better. But they kept trying to get better and kept working at it. And uh, they were not an unphysical team. They were a physical team. Now, <clears throat> I think one of the problems is in your scenario, if it's one and four, it won't be the same coach who ends, who's, who's there when they lose three and four. Cause they they lose a couple of if they get to one and three, there will be a new coach before they go one and four. I don't think there's any any question about that. and then the whole question about the buyout I mean, you know say they go one and three are they gonna come out and say hey, we can't afford to change the head coach? We can't. there's nothing we can do. Sorry. imagine how that will be received by the people who gave them or pledge $10 million for, uh, uh, you know, suites, uh, founders suites in the scholarship talk. Uh, I don't know what would they, what would they do? I don't think they can possibly get the one in four. Uh, I don't, I just don't think they can.
1: Uh, let's take a quick break and uh, we'll come back. We got a few more, uh, emails to get to back in a minute.
2: Alrighty, we got an email from Lloyd who says a couple months ago the Florida AD was on Twitter asking for a game against another Power Five team. Any chance Bone will look into it? Uh,
3: uh, another Power Five team? Uh, you know, you're seeing a different attitude from some of the you know the big time programs who are realizing that they're having trouble getting their students to come to games if they don't. Play home and home against uh, pretty good teams, and the, the networks that are paying them big, big, big money are also saying, "Man, these games aren't worth very much." Uh, so I do think there's an economic incentive uh, for everybody. I mean, I don't know that that'll help USC get to the uh, you know seven and five. That's just never going to happen. Although I think if I were USC, the first thing I'd be doing, if I were Mike Bone and Brandon. Uh, Sosna, I would be figuring out an approach to the Pac-12, which would say, we're going to an eight-game schedule. And I think they need to be uh, you know, getting uh, others on their side, maybe UCLA to start with, and, uh, <clears throat> and try to basically tell the Pac-12 uh, and give them a deadline and say, you're going to have to you know, come down to an eight-game schedule. And I know everybody wants to play in LA every two years or every year, because they get both schools. Uh, but but we're not doing that. We're not playing nine Pac-12 games a year, which means uh, every other year we've got four home games and five road games in the Pac-12. We're not doing that. I think that would I think that would do more to help USC schedule than anything they could possibly do. And I think they uh, that's why they need to act start acting like USC in every way. And, uh, and and that's where the program's got to be good enough so that when USC tells the Pac-12, we've got to go in this direction, the Pac-12 listens, has to listen. And right now, they like, USC, who cares? You're not doing us much good. Um, and we, what do we have to worry about losing, you know, you? But I think USC needs to get that squared away first. Eight games.
1: Yeah, we just don't know what the, the. I mean, we reported in the, the war room, we put up a story that USC was trying to get out of the uh, FCS game against UC Davis. But if you do something like that, you're going to go against what Steve Lopes was saying, is they always want seven home games. So we don't know if the philosophy has now changed. We haven't got any official word of that. So that'll be an interesting topic.
2: We have an email from John Oakland, USC classes of 83 and 87. He says, hi, Ryan, Dan, and Keeley. Happy offseason again. While I realize that USC fans are known for their passion, but listening to the last month of podcast emails, and voicemails and mostly ten- temper tantrums over not getting their shiny new head coach or recruit is so tiring. These calls and emails remind me of my three-year-old nephew throwing a fit and not getting the pony he asked at the shopping mall Santa Claus to bring him at Christmas. Add-in reports that a fan in in the Galen Center during a basketball game was accosting President Fult to the point that USC police officers had to intervene, other fans mailing coal and black wreaths to Dr. Fult and A.D. Bone, and others sending emails to prospective recruits warning them not to sign with quote-unquote loser Helton. All this makes me worry that USC is going backwards and re-earning its old moniker, University of quote-unquote spoiled children. And then he has a different uh, note. What are the chances of Dan and Keely getting an actual interview with Clay Helton during the offseason? I would really like to learn Helton's answers to the interesting discussion on his philosophy and approach to practices and game prep that Dan is always bringing up. Also, getting Helton's take on the fan perception that he is against hard-hitting game speed practices and rumors that the Iowa and other Pac-12 coaching staff see Helton's team as physically soft and the individual position skills, skills of his players as fundamentally unsound. Fight on, John Oakland.
3: John, I think that's a great idea. I think uh, Keeley would be the the uh, give us the maybe the ability to go sit down with Clay, uh, and she could mean? be the, the moderator, maybe, uh, or the you know soften uh, the question. As Keeley has said, and I I think I, I totally agree. <clears throat> what you often get from Clay is sort of an, a non answer to a question that he doesn't kind of admit the reality of that he he would not say that other teams practice more physically than USC that other teams hit hard it's just there's just if if, if you could get him to kind of go in that direction it's it's really hard what do you think Kelly how would you get answers to those kinds of questions
2: that's the thing and you've addressed it already in this podcast is for a, for him to have a good answer would mean that there's a reality being accepted that we just haven't seen from Helton in his tenure. And I don't think he's going to start now. I Maybe he does it behind closed doors, but to the public, to the media, he's very much, he doesn't want to give a ground on what he believes and where this team is going. And so I don't know how beneficial that will be. I think if we asked him questions like that, he might, he might have a rebuttal where well, we did this and we did full practice tackling on Tuesdays and et cetera, et cetera. So I don't know how much of it would be worth getting that interview. I mean, of course, I would always have an interview with Clay Hilton if we're given the opportunity, but I just don't think his words mean much now, and we already have discussed why so i i I don't know, I don't think it would be very beneficial,
1: yeah. It's, it's something you'd like to do now we're working on some some good interviews for you guys we're not going to talk about who they are but we're working on some good ones but it's really tough and when things when when things are tougher it's not like they're gonna be reaching out more to do more interviews uh now they're yeah. you know but we're we're working on some stuff for you guys
2: yeah I think some people think that there's going to be some way that if they're somehow put on trial, good answers will come. Will come from coaches, and then change will happen. And that it just doesn't work that way.
3: Well, you know, and I don't know if any of you watch that channel where they show all the old uh, old TV series and and way before Keely, and maybe even I don't know before Ryan's time, where you had uh, Perry Mason, and there was always a Perry Mason moment. He won every single uh, case he ever tried, and very often the guilty person would stand up in court and say, you got me, you're right, I I did it, blah, blah, blah. In real life, there are very few Perry Mason moments where they say, okay, you got me. We haven't been hitting hard enough. For my 25 years as a coach, I don't think I really understood this. Maybe it was because I was a quarterback, whatever. We're going to go out and hit. And I talked to Pete Carroll and I talked to Ed Orgeron and we're figuring it out. Okay, that would be a wonderful result of a, an interview like that. It ain't happening. It's just not. It doesn't ever happen. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, we're gonna switch. It's a hard turn. Do we have one more voicemail though, Ryan?
3: No more voicemails. Okay, so, we
2: sorry. have a hard turn in topics, but it's still USC related. And it's from our buddy Dan, class of nineteen sixty-two. He says, "Hi, Ryan Keeley and Dan." We will know if Mike Bone really wants championship coaches by what he does in naming Dave Salo's replacement. USC had national championship swimming slash diving teams for years with Peter Dalen and Dave Salo as head coaches. For at least the last 10 years, Cal has had a national championship team and recruited the top swimmers in the country with Tara McKeever as a head coach. USC USC should be going all out to hire Tara as a replacement for Dave Salo if Mike Bone really wants to compete for national championships. Tara, for heaven's sakes, is the daughter of Mike McKeever an iconic Trojan, and she swam for USC. Mike Bone should show that he really wants championships by hiring top coaches for all of the sports where USC has traditionally been dominant. Just check the 100 or so national championship trophies in the Galen Center lobby to know what USC should be. If Mike Bone hires someone like Tara for swimming, I will then believe that he also wants a top football coach. Your thoughts? Fight on. And Dan, you are right about what it means to be a part of the Trojan family. It isn't always about money, but it's about the value of our USC degree. Sam Bam Cunningham helping... Uh, to integrate the South and Bryce Taylor being the first African all American. It is about USC values and respect for USC alumni and friends. Dan class of 1962.
3: Yeah. You know, uh, I don't think I knew that uh, story. I mean, I knew how, um, cause every once in a while you're going to a basketball game or I don't know if we play them in football late enough, but you would see how, how big a deal. Cal swimming is. And on some really, really cold days up there in the, in the Bay area, uh, <clears throat> I think it's really difficult on those large number where you need a large roster for the private schools to compete anymore with the way scholarships have been cut back. I, I think, you know, USC and baseball and, and track and field, it's almost a miracle, that, you know, that they won an NCAA championship with the women uh, a couple of years ago. But uh, I just think and yeah, I, I think you go out and try to hire the best coaches you possibly can. But it really is uh, an apples and oranges deal between, uh, uh, say, a public school where the, uh, uh, you know, you can divide scholarships up, and the, you know, what you're left to pay uh, to go to, you know, UCLA or Cal or whatever is so much less than what what you would be left to pay if you've got a half a scholarship or a quarter scholarship at USC. So that's a tough deal. But, uh, but I do think. Uh, you go out and try to hire really good coaches because they can't limit you on uh, on what you can spend or what you can do to get a really good coach in here. So if you've got, I, I don't think you can skimp on the coaches. I think you got to you know really uh, go get the best people you can possibly get. It still may not make up for the scholarship issues uh, in terms of numbers, but uh, I think that's a really good point. Uh, get the very best uh, coaches you can find for all those sports. And I'm not sure that was happening. I mean, when you had, uh, the kind of tennis coach USC had, when you had the kind of baseball coach coaches that USC had, you had the best people in the country. And you also didn't have the same kind of scholarship limitations. Now with the limitations, I think even more, you've got to have the best people in the country coaching those teams. And, uh, you know, did that happen? Uh, uh especially with Lynn Swan, I, um, I think a lot of people said it didn't.
1: It's yeah, Mike. Uh, Mike McKeever, I believe his son. I uh, ran into. I've I've known him through USC channels for years, and I just I haven't seen him for for years. Ran into him like on the golf course uh, last week with my buddy down <laughs> in Long Beach. So nice. Uh, shout out to the McKeever family. But I didn't realize she was the the coach there at uh, at Cal like winning championships and stuff. That's crazy. Dan Dan from 1962 yeah. points all that stuff out for us. He's very good, good job, historically. Dan.
2: It's oh, yeah. such interesting unique questions and non- Dan oh. has
3: been paying attention uh, uh, and and it's great when we the question is not just a question but it's also uh, a piece of information that we didn't have that's great thank yeah. you Dan a awesome history story.
2: lesson in a question
1: so I think we got, got to wrap it up Dan you got to go right yes we, we get you out of here okay well that'll uh, that'll put a bow on this one we're gonna have uh, nice. Harvey Hyde on tomorrow we'll have a podcast and of course we'll have Tunnel Vision so it's Wednesday. so today's Tuesday so We'll have a Harvey Hyde podcast on Wednesday, also Tunnel Vision, uh, Wednesday night, 7 p.m. You can check on YouTube, Facebook, or Periscope. But that's going to wrap it up. For Keely Yord, Dan Weber, I'm Ryan Abraham. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast, and we will talk to you next time.
0: You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices. Every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening
1: to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com.